It's Pumema Shekho and you're listening to Womanza. It's Wednesday and in my new and improved love this time slot, but also had a very, very hard time over the past couple of days and kind of um, completely, completely down and not knowing um, what to do. And I actually realized that the reason I'm having such a tough time is because I'm having to have so many really, really, really not so nice conversations, which are tough conversations to say the least, tough conversations with family, tough conversations with friends, tough conversations with myself, um, tough conversation with clients, because tough conversations, you know, are, are not only stuff that happens at home or in the emotional space. They also happen at work. And as I was getting ready and, and thinking about how how I'm going to share this experience with you, I really did a lot of soul searching and a lot of digging. And I remember that we've had this conversation before, but I, I, I went back and I listened to a podcast and I thought, oh, you know what? What I would really, really, really love to do today is, and I listened to that podcast and I had so many aha moments again about about myself, about needing to talk, about having to talk, about wanting to talk and about being addicted to being right. So I thought, that's what I'm going to do with you today. I'm going to share an old experience and an old conversation that we've had. The show's been going on for almost two years. And in the two years, we've had so many fabulous um, guests, so many fabulous topics, so many interesting, crazy juggling of life and love and everything in between, like all girls do 24-7, 365. Um, but I think this one is is, again, very relevant to me, but also I think very relevant to, to everyone, especially in our country at the moment where we are having lots of tough conversations, where we're having to soul search a little bit. And I think probably shouting at each other a lot more than we are listening to each other. I had a friend of mine who's a facilitator, um, conversational facilitator. So she does this work with people and we were talk and, and we got talking about difficult conversations and how to get into them, how to prepare for them, how to, Get your head right for listening when you're in a difficult conversation. And that's what I'm going to share with you today. I think in that regard, um, it's true that women sort out their relationship problems through having conversations about them. Women think that when they're talking about their relationship, they're working on it. Men think that when they're talking about their relationship, the relationship's in trouble. <laughs> But, but I think, you know, and when I put it out on Facebook and Twitter earlier, it was about, it's normally that phrase, we have to talk, mm -hmm. that kind of gets everybody's hairs on the back of their necks standing up. Yeah. But let's talk about difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. what, what are some of the things that are a difficult conversation to have, whether you are a man or a woman? Hmm. I think we have to talk is very different to we need to talk. I think human beings have a great, great need to connect, to reach one another, to be heard and to hear one another. And I don't think that we really achieve that in our conversations. I think in many ways we socialized by our parents, our community, our work, our school to have conversations that remain difficult because 
we had socialized into wanting our point of view to be heard without stepping back with some level of kindness and compassion to say, your point of view is as valid as mine. And when we begin to say that, the difficult conversations over a period of time get easier. But it takes a great deal of vulnerability. So in the beginning, those conversations are even more difficult. Because actually, if you look at neuroscience, do you know that the brain triggers certain chemicals when we are right? Our brain rewards us for being right. <laughs> so we get addicted to being right. <laughs> like I know I'm always right. <laughs> exactly. Just like everybody else, for me. Surely everybody else knows I'm always right too. <laughs> and so do they know that about themselves. And there's the crux of the difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. There's the point at which we don't meet because I'm aching to have my needs met. You're aching to have your needs met. And none of us are actually going to the place where we realize that by meeting each other's needs, our own will be met. And yeah. And how do you do that? I, I mean, you use the words, I use the word we have to talk yeah. and you use the words we need yeah. to talk, which is different, completely different. And until you said it, I had never thought about it that way. So how does, how does one move to that place of using the words that get you to mm. ease up the conversation? Mm. I think the secret, the key is listening. <laughs> I don't thought, I don't think that anybody has ever been taught to listen. You know, I run many, many workshops. And in all of the workshops I've run, I don't find many people who can truly listen. Because when we listen to other people, we're actually listening to the noise inside our own heads. <laughs> we're listening to our own conversation and filtering their conversation through our own heads. Waiting for your moment to speak. Waiting for your moment to speak. So the first thing, and it's, it's simple and it's very, very hard, is to be fully present when somebody else is speaking. So learning to not have thoughts in your head when somebody else is speaking takes a long, long time. And how, how do I do that? So Kanejo um, has been asked to go to listening skills class. <laughs> it's enough. As, as you've met my son and is a lot like me, very talkative, mm. right? So now they have this thing at his school and he's only six years old. So I think this is a brilliant idea. Listening skills. Yesterday he comes home and, he's, and I say, what did you do at listening skills yesterday? He says they played broken telephone. <laughs> hmm. Until much later in the night where I thought actually broken telephone is a great one mm -hmm. because, you, you know, you have to, to use the hear it, but also really hear it so you can tell it to the next person instead of trying to get your story in. Hmm. So how does one learn and learn the bad habits at my age and start learning the hmm. real listening skill. You know, Pumi, when you say that to me, I get a little bit sad because Kanejo being sent to listening classes is actually really about you're not listening to what I'm saying. And so it's not about listening to be heard. 
When I listen to you, it is also about being heard. It's about opening a conversation that is generous, where both of us are hearing. So Conejo is being, being taught to toe the line, and I might be out of line here. I might be out of line, but it's my first flush assumption that when a teacher sends a kid to listening classes, the teacher doesn't have a clue what deep, genuine, authentic listening really is. I'm not listening to what you say. I'm listening in the, um, what's the word? I'm listening because I understand that there are multiple perspectives and I'm wanting to get a handle on all of them. Not that I'm listening to your perspective and taking it as read. So I hope, I hope, and I think breaking, broken telephone is a great way to start because we start to realize how what you say isn't always what I hear. Um, there are a lot of filters through which what you say goes through before I hear it. So generally, if I were to kind of simplify the theory, I generally don't listen to the things that you say that don't match my reality. So I filter those out. When you talk about things that don't match my reality, actually my brain doesn't have pathways to those ideas. So I filter them out. The next thing I do is when you say something, I distort it to fit my reality. And only when you say something that really fits my reality do I really hear it. So true listening is about being open to ideas that don't fit our reality. And that's very hard to do. How does one do that in the workplace? In South Africa, we have so many different filters. You know, we, mm. we have, we have language filters mm -hmm. and we have experience filters of what I've experienced when you talk about reality in the workplace, which is the place where most of us spend most of our time. Mm. How does one, how does one convey messages in a way that, that can actually touch the next person to understand what and, and take in what you're having a conversation mm. about. So what really happens when we talk to each other in the workplace is that we usually talk from a place of the conclusions that we've come from. So I say to you, I think we need to build new offices. You say, I think that's a bad idea. I say, no, it's not. It's a really good idea. None of us stops to ask the other people, person, what makes you think that? And that's the first step, is to get curious about what the other person has said, to really start listening to their point of view, to say, gee, what makes you think that? Perhaps it's a good idea. It doesn't match my conclusion, which is based on a whole lot of information that I have in my brain that you can't see. And that's, that's the thing. Always stuff that you can't see as we're having. And, and some of them, when I was doing research, getting ready for this show is some of, some of the difficult conversations in particular women have is conversations about money, 
Uh-huh. Conversations about positions. Uh-huh. So needing a, a raise or needing a promotion mm. are very difficult conversations to have. Or wanting to change something in their relationship. Not change something about the next person, but change something about. Mm. And, and that's just sparked a thing for me, that perspective thing. Yeah. Is some of those difficult conversations, how does one get over the fear of being in a, mm. in a conversation that also makes it very difficult to have? Cause mm. you're afraid to go to your boss and say, I want a raise mm. or I want a promotion or I want you to learn how to cook sometimes. You know, those are <laughs> difficult conversations because you're afraid. Of have of starting the conversation even so mm. how does one jump over that? So I think for me, if I can take a little side road here, because I think if you can ask me that question again, because I'm veering up a side road. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you see, this is why I love talking to you. You're like telling me I'm not going to answer your question, but you can come back to it. <laughs> yeah, because there's another issue inside of that. That's not only about. Conversations, you're bringing up a gender issue. So there's some wonderful research about the way women come to situations. And I'd really like to recommend to those who um, are listening and have access to TED Talk or YouTube, there's an incredible YouTube video by a woman called Cheryl Sandberg, who is the COO mm-hmm. of Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. Yes. Yes. Um, and she's got this incredible video called Lean In. And had, a book. And a book. And there's a book. Yeah. We'll put it up when we yeah. put up the link. The, the video is easier and cheaper. <laughs> Much and quicker. And, and quicker. quicker. And says everything you need to hear. The book's a read. <laughs> so I would say listen to the video. Um, you can listen see to the her, video. You can see her talking. You can hear her talking. And she's wonderful. She is lots of fun. She is. So she says a couple of things. She says, women never attribute their success to themselves, whereas men do. And she tells this amazing little story about her brother and her friend and herself at university doing a very difficult course. Her and her friend studied for months and months and months. And her brother didn't, sort of day before the course. He said, just tell me what I need to know. <laughs> they walked out of that um, exam and her friend said, oh, my word, I forgot to talk about this section. And she said, oh, my word, I didn't complete this and that. And her brother said, I did brilliantly. <laughs> <laughs> So women and he didn't even study. And he didn't even study. So women tend to underestimate themselves. We tend to underestimate our power and our capacity in the world. So she also talks about her experience in the boardroom. And that she calls it, this is why it's called lean in. Women don't lean in. They step back. Um, And What she also speaks about is a boardroom situation where the women were sitting on the side. The men were having the important conversation. Because the table was full. So it got full in the boardroom and and all the chairs right next to the table. And then the the girls went 
at the end, at the back. Is that the one? Not quite. Mm-hmm. That's the way we've always done things around here. Is much more about what it was, right? Mm-hmm. We still live with very parochial views on women. And unfortunately, we do socialize our boy and ch- girl children into being that. So we haven't broken the bonds and we need to take responsibility as women. You know, when I think about it, I have had an incident one night. We were at the dinner table and after dinner, I said to my daughter, Cara, please help me clean up. And she looked at me and she said, how come you never ask my brothers? <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I was feeding the monster. And as women, we feed the monster. We bring up our girl, girl children to serve, whether we're conscious of it or not. Our girl children play with dolls. Our boy children fix things. Or break them. Or break them. And so we need to understand that there are gender issues in this one that we're talking about. And mm. I promise to come back yeah, so, down the side but that, road. That's, so the gender issue is one thing, you know, because people... Like when we started the show, people think that women find it much easier to have a conversation, ah. much easier to have a conversation. But we, we also find there are some conversations that are difficult conversations. Absolutely. And, and so how does one approach hmm. a difficult conversation yeah. then? So I really think picking up what you're saying, women find it easier to talk. So when we're with our friends, we talk about our personal problems. We're much more open and talking. But we're at a disadvantage when it comes to the difficult conversations because there's a part of us that believes that we don't deserve to demand. Okay? And what I'm sort of going back to is we're brought up to serve, not to demand, not to take control. And, of course, they become difficult conversations. And so... Now we're a little bit more open. We're yeah. a little bit more enlightened. Yeah. Even now having the opportunity to have a conversation like this. Yeah. How does one break right. that cycle? How yeah. do you recognize that this is a difficult conversation mm. for me? Mm. And how do you then break the cycle of it being difficult? Right. So going on what Cheryl says, we've got to lean in. Not step back from the difficult conversations. Now, there are two areas in which we really need to focus in a conversation. We need to do what I call is advocate, take a stand, and inquire, listen, and ask relevant, curious questions to which we don't have the answer. Relevant, curious questions. To which we don't already have the answer. So that's important because if you've got the answer, does that mean if, if I've got the answer as I ask the question, I'm not hearing what your answer is. Yeah. So if I say to you, don't you think we should have red teacups? I'm not asking a curious question. <laughs> okay. If I say, you know, we're having to buy teacups for the office. What would be a good idea? That's a curious question because I don't have the answer. Even if I'm thinking red teacups, I'm open to the fact that you might say blue. And if you say blue, I might say, what makes you think that? And you might say it goes with the decor. And I might think, gee, 
That's something I hadn't thought about yet. And at the same time, I can take a stand. I can say what I think and feel. So I can then say to you, um, the banging the tables. I've been oh, sensitive. Oh, is that what I'm doing? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I didn't understand. She's, she's not being aggressive, guys. Um, <laughs> I can say to you, well, what do you think about red teacups? Because I thought they might bring some color into our office. So it's not that I'm going to not say anything. And I think most of the time we don't say anything. Or we say it aggressively because we don't know how else to say it. So we get into power battles instead of conversational turning. Conversational turning. Right. <laughs> what does that mean, conversational okay. turning? Yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. There are many levels of conversation that we have. Most of us in the workplace have conversations which I call downloading conversations. So everyone comes in and they download information and then everyone leaves the meeting. Right? Nobody's I've been in one of those. Lots of those, I'm sure. <laughs> right? And usually the people who have the most downloading time are those in positions of power. Boss comes in, he downloads a whole lot of stuff. Second in command loads, downloads more and everyone walks out of the meeting and nobody's even thought for a single second. So that's what we call level one, yell, tell, sell <laughs> conversations. <laughs> right? Now in our very clear, very in clear. In our workplaces. In our kitchens. In our kitchens. In our when we're talking to our children, when we're talking to our partners, that's the kind of conversation we've been taught to have. We don't even know that there are alternatives. So the next one up is what we call level two conversations, where I advocate, I make my position clear, and I inquire, and I give you a chance to make your position clear. And then we try and find a third alternative that combines the best of both. Okay. Does yeah? You sighing here. I'm looking <laughs> looking at the I'm, ceiling. I'm trying to so I'm trying to, to, to kind of let it sink in uh -huh. and, and figure it out. So third alternative. Yeah. So I think one thing, you think another thing, and we're gonna get somewhere. We're gonna yeah. find a, a middle ground. So Let's go back to our teacup conversation, seen as I started with a silly example. <laughs> it's like it. I quite like red teacups. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I like blue. <laughs> so you and I might get together and decide, you know, both of us have a jolly good point. Blue really does go with the decor and it looks quite elegant. Red really lifts the spirit in our office and it looks quite happy. And we've got some choices here. We can go for your idea. We can go for my idea willingly where nobody feels they've lost. Or we can go out and look for blue and red striped teacups. Which would be a third alternative that contains the best of both. And I really want to talk a little bit about compromise. It's not compromise. 
in a compromised situation, everybody loses. I was going to ask you about the winning where we both, where nobody feels like they've lost ah. because some, some difficult conversations, one walks out of there feeling, eh, I didn't get what I wanted. Right. Most of the time in difficult conversations because we get to a compromised situation. I will drink out of red teacups if you will put them on blue sauces. That's compromise. <laughs> right? Neither okay. of us got what we wanted. But and and the 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 blue with the red stripe is not a compromise how? It's not a compromise because of the level of conversation that took us to that place. It's not a negotiation. It's a meeting of minds. And the third alternative is there because we both think it's a great alternative. Even if we decide red teacups on blue sauces, we both feel that we have won. Not that both of us has lost, which is what happens in a compromise situation. Compromise comes out of a very give-and-take, tit-for-tat conversation. What I'm talking about is the fact that there's no tit-for-tat, that each of us realizes that the other person has a very valid point of view. And if I only just open up and listen, I will see that and embrace it in the decision we finally make. And because compromise also happens because you feel backed into a corner. You feel, I can't go anywhere. I've, I've been trying. You're having a conversation and you're trying to, to, to advocate mm-hmm. and hold your ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also trying to ask the inquisitive questions. Mm. But you're not in a conversation with somebody who has the same level of awareness as you. So their approach to it is, is very different to your own. Yeah. And you're not getting your point across. How do you shift the conversation then? Hmm. That's a great question. And I'm going to keep harping on it. You stop talking and you start listening. And the other person, when they feel heard and understood, will be much more willing to hear and understand you. And that takes skill, takes effort. It takes holding back on what you think. That's tough stuff. You have to really practice that. You have to really get into that groove. You have to stop being addicted to being right. (laughs) (laughs) It's the being right, isn't it? It's, It's all about being right. My way is the best way. And it might be the best way. But you don't know that until you've opened yourself up to other alternatives. And come to that, not by negotiating, but by turning, just turning. And by turning, I don't even mean your turn and my turn. I mean just going in a roundabout conversation, turning it together, like turning the soil rather than having turns. (laughs) Which in, in a world that is extremely... Fascinated by time uh-huh. and small chunks of information mm-hmm. and quick fixes and solutions mm. sounds very time consuming. 
I love that because it is time consuming and it's about going slow to go fast. So what really happens when we don't turn the soil and explore all the alternatives is that without thinking, we go with your idea because you're the boss. And then when it doesn't work, we do it again. And we don't have time to not talk. <laughs> yes, yes. That's what, the, the meeting is an hour long. Right. You have an hour. And that the, you, you, you know, we're so goal orientated. You have to come out of this meeting with some kind of action points. Yeah. With a decision having been made, which might be the wrong decision because it's not based on enough information from many points of view. So how does one find the, the third alternative? Where's the third way? You know, mm. in, in a, in an environment. Because mm. most difficult conversations do happen. You know, you get exhausted. Mm. I think about when I have fights with, mm-hmm. with Newell, you know, so mm-hmm. when I'd have fights with my ex-husband is you get exhausted. After a while, you just, I just, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want, just leave me alone. Just, I'm mm. done. How, how do, how do you find that third way where you don't exhaust yourself, mm. but still give yourself enough time to explore the conversation? So at what point of the conversation, Pumi, let's just kind of play on that one. You're having an argument with Nell. He's got a certain point of view about the way things should be. You've got a different point of view about the way things should be. At what stage of that conversation do you let go and say, tell me more about that? I'm here being kind. Our conversations are never kind when we're in a fight. So where's the place in that conversation that you really get kind and you say to him, let me hear all about it. Tell me really what's up for you. What are you up against? What are you thinking? What's going on in your head that's making you say those things? And what you're doing is bringing the temperature down from boiling to comfortably warm because you're giving him an opportunity to express what's important to him. So does that happen? Comfortably warm. I don't know, hey, about comfortably warm. Because again, you, you kind of, if, if the person on the other side feels I really, uh, wasting time, all this talking is wasting time. Bringing that temperature down does also mean that you're bringing, you're slowing it down. So it, it's taking more time. You're making it mm-hmm. slower. You're making it take longer. You, you know, you're mm. unpacking it further. Mm. How, how do you, when the resistance, mm. so you may feel you want to ask the inquisitive question, mm. what makes you say that? Mm. But I, I'm actually on the other side of the table. I am exhausted and I don't want to talk mm. about that anymore. It's too late at that point. <laughs> I'm talking about really early in the conversation before boiling point. Okay, and you know what I just want to point out to you, Pums, is that I only think we're wasting time when you're talking. I never think we're wasting time when I'm talking. (laughs) True. Okay, because when I'm talking, you're hearing what I'm saying, right? Right. So (laughs) if I'm truly hearing what you're saying and you're talking, I won't think that's a waste of time because I'll be really interested in what you say in case... 
There is a matching of our truths in what you say. So very often I find in my conversations that we get to the end in the, of the heated argument and I say, but you're saying what I wanted to say. But <laughs> We're because in violent agreement here. We're in violent agreement, but none of us has stopped long enough to listen to the other person to discover that. Okay? So if we kind of intervene with true kind listening early on in the conversation, then it never gets to that frustrating point. Because there's also something called the law of reciprocity. Okay? And that that really refers to reciprocation. So I know that there are people who I am wonderful when I'm with them. They listen to me. I listen to them. They find me fascinating. I find them fascinating. We have incredible conversations. And when we disagree on something, it's a different level of conversation. Because it's reciprocal. If somebody finds me fascinating, then I work at being fascinating. I want more of that. Right? Mm -hmm. If somebody finds me a stubborn old boring wreck, which, by the way, I think my family do find me that, (laughs) um, then I'm going to reciprocate that feeling by Acting back. By being by a boring. being a boring wreck. So the minute we start to look at somebody else with new eyes early in the conversation, noticing that just like me, that opponent, I'm going to call Nao an <laughs> opponent because you're talking about an oppositional conversation. conversation. That opponent has all the same feelings as you do about truly wanting to be heard about truly wanting to resolve this, the problem is that each of us want to resolve it in our way. (laughs) Or should I say, my way. Yeah. (laughs) And the truth lies in our way. That we could have a really different kind of conversation, which goes, I really hear your point of view. And now that I'm finished hearing your point of view, are you willing to listen to mine? And the chances are, and there's no rules. We are not machines. There are no rules. And I always tell people in my workshop, just because you know how to do it doesn't mean you're going to get the results you want. So I just kind of, a little bit like, don't try this at home, folks. (laughs) A little bit like the fire walking days, which, by the way, I was a lot younger. I no longer do it. Um, So we can't go out expecting um, an incredible result. But as long as we do what we've always done, we're going to get the same results. So it takes risk. It takes a lot of risk to change the pattern of that interchange. It takes risk. So big risk, big risk. Yeah. To, to put yourself in also because you may have heard this, you, you've listened and you've read some stuff up and, mm. In conversations that are facilitated, mm-hmm. it's much easier right. because there's a third person who doesn't have a vested interest, as it were, mm. except for the conversation. Mm-hmm. When you don't have a facilitator, mm. when you're in that meeting room with your boss and you just want to ask for a raise and you, again, Come from a place because you you think you know 
what you think you know. Right. And you're not sure what you think you know this person too, because mm-hmm. that's another part that, that comes to play is you think you know the person you're dealing with and how they're going to respond. Mm-hmm. And we've been taught that you, you must plan and mitigate for that. Mm-hmm. So if they say this, you say this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is no third person mediating. Right. right. How does one keep the calm, keep the cool to be able to, to continue Standing, standing your ground mm-hmm. and still asking those curious mm. questions. So I have a stock phrase for that, which goes, when all else fails, take a breath. <laughs> Drink some water. Drink some water. <laughs> Why am I saying that? It's actually based on, a, again, neurological research. So I don't know if you've ever had that, that sort of experience where you're in a pressured situation and you don't say any of the things that you wanted to say. And you get out of the room and you think, but why didn't I say that? What happened? What happened to me? I prepared for the situation. My God, I looked <laughs> disgusting in there. The other person won, so to speak. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. In pressured situations, it happens to all of us. So let me tell you what happens to us inside our brains. So we have, and I'm sure everybody's heard of that phrase, put your thinking cap on, right? But we do have a thinking cap in our brain, okay? That's the cortex and the neocortex. And that thinking cap is available to us when we are in low stakes or unpressured situations. When we get into high stakes and pressured situations, actually what happens in our brain is that that begins to close down on us because we go into survival mode. And there are different parts of our brains that have been designed for survival, right? (laughs) Not the thinking part. Not the thinking cap, interestingly (laughs) enough. It's a part of our brains that push us into reacting quickly, very quickly like that. When we get stressed enough, a tiny little part of our brain called the amygdala kicks in. And what we have then is called an amygdala hijack, (laughs) right? Because that little amygdala kicks in and everything in our brain goes dead except the need to survive, to survive this thing. And I've got three choices when the amygdala kicks in. I can fight this one out. I can run. I can flee the situation or I can get frozen with fear. And that's what starts going on in our brain when we walk into the boss's office and suddenly all our planning is a reality and we're terrified. What happens when we just take a breath? We can get our thinking cap back. And I always say to people, when you're in the middle of a very heated argument, stay conscious and say, I need the loo. (laughs) Go out of the room. Hold on. Yeah, hold on. That thought. I need the loo. Because that's when you have what I call down the staircase ahas. You leave the room and you get your thinking cap back and you go back into the room and say, let's work towards a different result. Right? Because you've got your own power back in your head. So we lose the power in our heads to see things through. When it gets to boiling point and there are many places where it gets to boiling point and we can even begin to understand what they are 
Some of us feel churning in our stomachs. Some of us feel our shoulders tightening up. Or, or your, your throat. You, I, I get that feeling in my throat, like my, my muscles in my throat are closing up and I can't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like so angry right now. And that throws us into even further panic. And then the little amygdala says, yes, I'm in, I'm in play here. It's right. my turn. It's my turn. This person better survive at all costs. This is war. They are absolutely at risk. They're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Right? And then our throat closes up even more. And we panic even more. And soon enough, we don't even have a brain left. We start saying things we don't even mean. And that's when it gets really hectic. Preparation. How does mm. one prepare to get into mm. into a difficult conversation? Mm. Because as as you as you even planning for it or thinking about it, you mm. know you know how to recognize that mm. this one's going to be a toughie, mm. right? Which is why we use the words we use. Which because you've thought about it for so long, you you can start that conversation at a place that says. We need to talk, right? Right. But how does one plan ah. for a successful, difficult conversation? So I love that. Should we do a little exercise? Okay. Okay. So the first thing is we always plan what we're going to say. We don't plan how we're going to be. How we're going to be. How we're going to be. So how would I like to see myself? In that conversation. Let's take the one with the boss. I would really like to see myself walking into that room. Shoulders held back. Standing like I respect myself and I respect you. My hands are going to be relaxed. Okay? Not fists clenched walking in. And clammy hands. And clammy hands. They might be a little clammy because some things we just can't control. <laughs> but we really need to be aware of clammy hands. So, let's do a little exercise. And so we're going to use this one walking into the boss's office. But I hope everybody else listening can think of a situation that has the same patterns every time. We have the same conversation with the same people. Over and over again Because that is the nature of difficult conversations yeah. Is they don't move forward Yeah, You're always having it Yeah, In different ways With the same person Yeah, yeah, yeah So, if I can just give like one minute One second of silence For people to just think Who's that person? Might be a partner A friend Business associate A mother A mother Family member, person in the community. All of us have got one or more of those, boy. (laughs) So now we're going to rehearse the next difficult conversation. So I want you to see yourself walking into that situation. Notice your body language. Is your body language saying, come, I'm getting ready for a fight? Or is your body language saying, I'm really here so that we can both win? So check out your body language. And now when you notice your body language, I want you to change it a little. Body language that says, 
Come on in, I'll welcome you. We're different. We have different points of view. And I'm ready to understand yours. So can you notice that already you're preparing for the way you're being, not what you're going to say? The next thing we're going to do is determine what is the outcome. When I walk out of that office room meeting place, And I know that it's been a very, very successful conversation. What will I have? Now, if your immediate answer is I'm going to get what I wanted. (laughs) Okay? Partly true. There are other things that I have to really focus on. I'm going to have a good feeling about the other person. They're going to have a good feeling about me. I'm going to understand something that I've never understood before. I'm going to begin a different level of interaction. And here you have to be very, very careful with with setting outcomes for me. You can't set an outcome for the other person. Okay? So if my outcome, my goal is that you buy a pair of red shoes... Then my only goal can be patience for me. Okay? So I must be very careful that my outcome isn't about you. It's about me. So that I can walk out with my head held high. I listened to you. You didn't listen to me. But my outcome wasn't to get you to listen to me. That's dangerous. I like that. So if my outcome is to sell you red shoes then actually you need to walk into that conversation with the outcome being patience on your side. Because as long as it's going to take to get you to buy the red shoes is what I need to give myself. And it might be never. Because I've got to buy red shoes. (laughs) I've got to buy red shoes. Okay, Otherwise I begrudgingly take out my money and I don't like you for that because I've lost. And now that's a compromise. And it's a compromise. Okay. Oh, it might never. That sucks. I never promised it was going to be simple. (laughs) (laughs) It's really complex thing stuff. I've spent thirty years learning this, and I still don't get it right. Oh. Okay. So, So patience. Set outcomes for yourself that aren't concrete ones about getting what I want. About the relationship. Set relationship outcomes. How is our relationship going to look when I leave that room? How am I going to feel about myself when I leave that room? Not how's the other person going to feel about me. They're in control of that and I'm not. And if I set that as a goal, then I'm just pushing the river upstream. So it's about me, my outcomes. Not that I'm going to get my own way, but that our relationship is going to be different when I walk out the room. So I'm going to set good outcomes that are beyond the outcomes of right doings and wrongdoings, but about the relationship and how I'd like it to look. And even going back to the boss idea, I might say at the end of this conversation with my boss, 
I'm going to walk out thinking, I really respected myself in that conversation. I can't say I'm going to get my boss to respect me, but I can say I'm going to, I'm going to feel that I behaved in a respectworthy and dignified way in that conversation. That's a me outcome. And are there conversations that just should never be had, that you should walk away from? That's a choice. And we all have choice and we need to make it for me. And there are some conversations that actually we get to a point where we're talking to somebody who's so addicted to being right that we have to just let them carry on doing that. Right? There are some things that we will never change. The only thing that we can change is ourselves. The only thing that we can change is ourselves. So maybe I don't have to have that conversation, but I do need to change myself if it's somebody I'm in relationship with. Right? A work colleague that I really don't like, and we keep having these conversations about not liking one another. Those are useless conversations, but I can still change myself. <laughs> <laughs> and but in the how how do I recognize that in me? Hmm. How do I recognize that in me that this is just this is because I'm also addicted to being right. Yep. Just like me. Right. So how do I recognize that in myself that says this one is not for you? Yeah. Go and be right in that corner on the other side of this person. You know, Pumi, I really wish I had simple answers. <laughs> <laughs> and I really wish I had like nuggets of gold and I could just give you a nugget of gold and then you would know that. But all of us have such different and difficult situations that are so different to one another. So I know I'm being a little abstract. Um and, yeah, we need to talk our way to our own kind of solutions to our own problems. So one of the ways I could suggest if you want to engage in daily practice is to take a journal, keep a daily journal of noticing and being aware of myself, where I get triggered, where I get hooked, and with whom. Not trying to change it. That takes time. This is not an overnight miracle cure. And all learning starts with awareness. So if you're really serious about wanting to change it, first become aware of what triggers you. Then you can begin to deal with the triggers because your triggers and my triggers are completely different. So here's a little example of that. We go to a party and you say to me, were you aware of that woman dancing on tables? She just got to me. I hate her. <laughs> right? I say, what woman? <laughs> I saw that fun person dancing on tables and getting everyone at the party to laugh. Because we're triggered by different things. So I can't give you my answer. I can help you to find your own. And so I think that's why difficult conversations don't have rules. People go to listening classes <laughs> and get rules. Those are rules. Those are still addicted to being right. These are the rules. There are no rules in the world of conversation. Mm -hmm. 
That's a big one. No rules. No rules. So there's no rules and there's no right or wrong. But there is appropriate and what works and what doesn't work. And it's different for all of us. And we all have to find that for ourselves. We've got... Literally, I've got Duncan waving his arms ahead of me, but I don't see. And coming up next is always the doctors. And I do see, do I see what? Yes, I see a doctor out that window. But very quickly, Spongile <laughs> is also waving at me now, saying that your time is almost over. Because <laughs> Duncan's not here waving at me. But th- this is, um, you're listening to Woman Lainam Pume Mashekho, and it's been about difficult conversations. I, I hope those, um, Difficult conversations and all these non-rules and non-nuggets help you in one little way to find it within yourself to be a little bit more aware when you get into a difficult conversation about yourself and your triggers and how you can come out on the other side of that conversation in a better relationship with yourself. Um, and just to say goodbye, because this has been one of those incredibly Hard, hard, hard days for me. Getting up this morning was very hard. And when I got into the office in my all black, seeing like almost everybody else in their all black was so lovely. Made me so happy. In fact, I asked Dory if we can all take a picture together and put that up for my show today. But to say goodbye and to give you um a little taste of what I hope the rest of your day is going to be like. I hope the rest of your day is fun and filled with fulfilling experiences of conversation with the people around you. And I hope you don't have any difficult conversations to get into today. Um, but I certainly definitely feel a lot better and a lot more prepared about what's coming my way today. And thank you for tuning in. I'm Pume Masheho and you've been listening to Womandla. Cliff Central. Cliff Central.